This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We begin with some developing details and that tragedy that's left a newborn in critical condition in hospital. A baby girl just hours old discovered abandoned, apparently in a dumpster in Mission last Friday. Our Catherine Urquhart is live with more on this on this disturbing case. Catherine, what do we know? Well, Sophie, this is incredibly troubling. That baby just hours ago, old, found abandoned here behind me. Conditions at the time, not good. Only about six degrees and rainy. At BC Children's Hospital, a newborn baby girl is fighting for her life. This after she was discovered abandoned in mission. She was in critical condition when we arrived and she remains in critical condition in the hospital. Sources have told Global News that the infant was found inside a dumpster, but police won't confirm that detail. This all occurred on Friday afternoon, November 23rd of this year, and we are its currently investigating a newborn baby that was discovered in the 3300 block of Prentice Avenue here in Mission. A 21-year-old woman was arrested and later released without charges. Mission Mounties not revealing if she's the baby's mother. We're here because there's recently been a baby abandoned in Mission. And unfortunately, that baby is in critical care uh, because it was abandoned in the community. St. Paul's Hospital is reminding the public about its angel's cradle, a safe drop box near the emergency entrance where desperate moms can leave their infants anonymously. It allows for anonymity, so uh, they can come and leave the baby in the portal here and the alarm sounds 30 seconds after they close the door, so they have time to get away. Since Angel's Cradle was set up at St. Paul's in 2010, two babies have been dropped off, two lives saved. And Catherine, you just talked about Angel's Cradle in your story, uh, that service at St. Paul's Hospital. What about people who can't get to Vancouver? Uh, what should they do in this situation? Well, if you find yourself in this situation, you're advised to contact social services in your area. And if you're scared and you want to remain anonymous, you're advised to place the baby in a safe place and make an anonymous call to a first responder, police, ambulance, firefighter, letting them know where the infant is. Clearly, just about anything better than abandoning a baby outside in the cold. Sophie, back to you. Absolutely. All right, Catherine, thank you for that. Now to some breaking traffic news. The Stanley Park Causeway is closed in both directions right now due to an accident. Expect some heavy delays if you are in that area. And if you can, you should take the iron workers as an alternate route. Well, it is exactly what the warnings predicted. An intense storm pummeling the south coast, triggering heavy rain and very soon high wind too. 
Visibility on the roads has been challenging, to say the least. And localized flooding is also a concern. Our Sarah McDonald has more on the impact, including a king tide that's only making things worse. Sarah. Well, Chris, you can see those sandbags behind me. This is one of those low-lying areas that is vulnerable to flooding in these conditions, as if this wind and rain wasn't enough. Those concerns over localized flooding are now being compounded by rising tides. This perfect storm arrived with a vengeance and just in time for the work week. I am still going to be riding my bike and going to my other job. I've got waterproof socks. I'm already, I'm already for it, yeah. Heavy rain and winds severe enough to spark weather warnings now battering the south coast and not expected to ease anytime soon. Fears of localized flooding for homeowners like Gary Wilson also rising right alongside water levels. Uh, the hole here is a result of a flood event. In, this particular North Shore neighborhood has been through this before and far too many times. 2005, 2009, 2014, 2018 and I've spent over $450,000 repairing my channel. The Lower Mainland is on the receiving end of a one, two, three punch this week. All this rain, not the only factor contributing to the region's swelling banks and soggy beaches. King tides are regular uh, extreme tide events that occur a couple times a year. That so-called king tide contributing to eerie images like these, shared online at the request of the city of Vancouver. Officials using these unusually high water levels to prepare for the future, warning this could be the new normal in a matter of decades. We're going to see some higher than normal tides, about 30 to 50 centimeters, and it's a great opportunity to visualize the future high tides of 2050. Though for now most of us are focused on simply staying dry with the exception of a hearty few like these Mexican tourists. It's okay. I prefer it's in raining but it's okay. Their Vancouver vacation coming complete with these quintessential West Coast conditions. My trip is almost over so I think it's a really good uh, way to and my trip. And with little relief in sight, these three at least are soaking it all in. Now, for those of us who do live here, officials are issuing that seasonal timely reminder to clear any blocked drains or catch basins to reduce the risk of flooding. That king tide is expected to stick around until the end of the week, which, guys, as we will hear from Christy coming up, is expected to be a wet one. No doubt. Thanks very much, Sarah. We'll check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon right now with more on just how much rain we saw today and what's next, Christy. Chris, incredible numbers since midnight last night with the hardest hit areas near the mountains right where we expected it. Look at Mountain Strack and 120 millimeters. That's basically Cypress, 103 near Port Mellon and just at the base of the mountains, 75 in North Vancouver. And this atmospheric river is not done with us just yet. Overnight tonight, heavy rain still expected. Another 30 to 50 millimeters along the North Shore. Further south you go, far less. So we're expecting flooding or localized flooding to continue through the morning hours tomorrow. Your commute to work will be affected, especially since the strongest winds for the lower mainland have yet to pick up. We're going to see overnight tonight winds gusting up to 70, 80 kilometers an hour coming out of the south, so we're certainly expecting power outages also. Watchful. Watch for falling branches and trees too. Yeah. Thanks very much, Christy. 
Two top officials in the B.C. legislature proclaiming their innocence today. Clerk Craig James and Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz were escorted out of the building almost a week ago amid an RCMP investigation. Today, as Keith Baldry reports, they spoke out in an emotional press conference denying any wrongdoing and demanding to be reinstated. Chief Clerk Craig James and Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz are fighting back, saying they have done absolutely nothing wrong. At this point, we don't even know what the allegations are or, or what they're about. We're completely in the dark. I have asked the Legislative Assembly to reconsider the motion removing me and the Sergeant-at-Arms pending the results of the investigation and allow us to continue doing our jobs. The two men are still reeling from being escorted last week from the B.C. Legislature by police officers, an experience they found humiliating. I have been deeply impacted by what has occurred, as has my wife, my family, friends and relatives. Those I have never met, but who have given wor words of support. Gary Lenz at one point becoming emotional. Given hugs. Gary and I have been deeply humiliated. My daughter came to me <clears throat> and she says, you know, when this happened so quickly within her world, she was at work and she says she got a text, says, sorry to hear about your father. Our prayers are with your family, says, my dad's dead. And Craig James said all spending in their offices, if this is what it's about, is fully accounted for and signed off at a number of levels. Travel that I am on is 90% uh, with members and probably 80% with the speaker. There was no money moved that shouldn't have been moved? None at all. I have established processes in the Legislative Assembly that are essentially bulletproof. Whatever there is out there, Let's find out what it is, let me know, let's get the police involved, and let's get it cleaned up so we can get back to work. So almost one week after one of the most dramatic moments in BC political history, and we still don't have many answers. All right, Keith joins us from Victoria with more on this. And Keith, that wasn't the only drama today on the issue. Yeah, the, the other thread to this story, of course, it, it, it's been a developing one, is the role the speaker played here. Der, speaker Daryl Plekis uh, today being the subject of heavy criticism from the B.C. Liberals who now think they got played of sorts, sort of taken for a ride by agreeing to that motion. And we also caught up to the speaker in the hallway, not too happy with the media asking him questions, even though he promised to talk to us and give us some answers last week. And we'll hear from him and Andrew Wilkins, the head of the Liberals, who says basically we're in a crisis situation. I think what you people need to do is understand that when you talk about investigations, it's a huge continuum, and one of those is called due diligence, and I, I'm thinking that you might want to do some of your own. We certainly want to consider that it's high time that British Columbia had someone come from far away, such as the former Governor General, to review this entire situation because we now have a crisis of confidence in the conduct of the Speaker. We have a crisis in terms of the conduct of the motion that put two people out on the street. And that has nothing to do with the special prosecutors or the police investigation. So for all the drama of the last week, we're going to probably hit the pause button tomorrow, guys, because the House will rise at, uh, in the afternoon and not come back until February. So I think everybody's going to take a bit of a breather. All right. Well, hopefully we get some answers at some point mm -hmm. before then. Thanks, hopefully. Keith. Meantime, a week after the government introduced legislation to bring ride-sharing to B.C., hopefully by next fall, the Liberal opposition now says it has a bill that could get it done, they say, by Valentine's Day. Richard Zussman explains how they feel it could be possible and has reaction. It may seem hypocritical from the B.C. Liberals to present any ideas to bring ride-sharing here to British Columbia. 
it was when they were in power that they avoided the issue at all costs, only to promise that if they won the 2017 election, that they would bring ride-sharing in. But now they have a tangible plan that they have tabled in the legislature that would see ride-sharing in British Columbia by next Valentine's, much earlier than the NDP legislation. There are four key parts to the legislation proposed by the Liberals. There would be no caps on ride-sharing cars or taxis, no regional restrictions, no restrictions on fare, and no requirement for a Class 4 license. Is, is a level of, of, um, of red tape that is, is not required in any other jurisdiction uh, here in Canada and, and across the United States and in hundreds of cities around the world. It's, it's time to get on with it. The legislature is currently debating the NDP bill. It would put significant power in the hands of the Passenger Transportation Board to set prices and caps on vehicles that could keep major ride-sharing companies out of the province. Would it be a failure if Lyft and Uber never operate in British Columbia? I'm very confident our legislation will open the way for the new services, the app-based ride-hailing, to apply if they so choose. BC Liberals had, a, had plenty of time to bring forward legislation in the past. They don't like aspects of this bill, primarily the market-based aspects of this bill. They had the opportunity to put that in front of British Columbians and to give us that. They chose not to. The Green Party supported the BC Liberal bill on the first step, but don't expect it to pass. What is more realistic are possible amendments. Both the Greens and the Liberals agree that there shouldn't be Class 4 licenses required for ride-sharing companies. But there is a concern that if the Greens do move that amendment forward, they could cause problems for the entire industry and make taxis and potentially ride-sharing vehicles less safe. Back to you. All right. Thanks, Richard. Surrey RCMP are investigating a shooting this morning that left one person dead. Just before noon today, RCMP were called to the 14600 block of Southview Drive for reports of shots fired. An adult victim was found but could not be revived. Witnesses described the man as a South Asian in his 40s. The integrated homicide investigation team is being called in and will now be working with RCMP on the case. Vancouver police are now identifying a disabled senior who was found murdered in her home over the weekend. The body of 87-year-old Elizabeth Poulin discovered Saturday morning. The VPD received a call from a relative who discovered Poulin in her apartment near Kingsway and Kerr Street. Vancouver police are releasing few details about the investigation but say the case is a priority. Our investigators are still working hard uh, to determine a clear motive in this case. We can say uh, right now that you know the information we've gathered so far, we do not believe that the public is at risk. No arrests have been made. Anyone who may have seen anything suspicious in the area of Kingsway and Kerr from Friday evening to Saturday morning is asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. An inquest began today probing the link between the suicide of a former RCMP spokesman and the Robert Jakansky case. Pierre Lemaitre handled media relations in the days after Jakansky's death at Vancouver International Airport. As Ted Chernecki reports today, Lemaitre's widow testified about the days leading up to his death. He must be quite relieved. On the day that Bill Bentley was found not guilty of perjury for his role in Robert Jakansky's airport death, Pierre Lemaitre was hanging himself in the basement of his home. His wife, a retired RCMP member with significant disabilities due to a previous horse riding accident, found him. She tried using scissors to cut him down, but wasn't strong enough, so she started sawing at the rope. 
It was so slow, and I tried to hold him, but when the last thread let go, he landed in my arms. His head hit the floor with a thump. It's something I'll always remember. She was crying as she said this. It's day one of a coroner's inquest. We can take a look to make recommendations through the inquest process so the jury can recommend to to federal agencies uh, what things they may want to look at doing further to help help with uh, death prevention in future circumstances. They're here to try to prevent things, but they can't inquire into certain things that deal with the RCMP. They can't inquire and assign fault. And so you really wonder, how is that going to be helpful at the end of the day? Lemaitre's widow testified that everything changed after 2007. Before Jukaski, Pierre was a loving, pay-it-forward kind of guy. But when he saw this home video the day after giving the media the official RCMP statement, he was furious. He was fighting to correct the information. He was screaming, I want to tell them. I want to correct this. They won't let me do it. I met with him briefly, and I came away thinking that this was a thoroughly decent man who was placed into a very difficult position and unable to uh, clear the record when he wanted to. The inquest heard that when the RCMP finally apologized for misleading the public, there was no specific mention of Pierre Lemaitre's attempts to correct the facts. Instead, he was demoted, making him feel like he was being put out as trash. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Also, a major blow to Canada's auto industry. The bad news, thousands of workers at this assembly plant got just before the holidays. That's later. But first, bags of criminal cash were first being unwittingly laundered through B.C. casinos. Now the microscope is on the Metro Vancouver real estate market. In a Global News exclusive, there are new details of a police intelligence investigation that follows the dirty cash linked to Asian organized crime straight to some of the most sought-after neighborhoods. John Hua reports. It's the payout from illegal casinos. The guns that are fueling gang violence. And drug deals that are leaving thousands of Canadians dead each year. How much of that dirty cash is being parked in Metro Vancouver's poshest neighborhoods? Like a piggy bank for the proceeds of crime. I don't know how big the problem is in the real estate market and the fact that government doesn't know that. That's a big problem. Now Global News has learned of a police intelligence investigation that looked at real estate transactions in 2016 between 3 and $35 million. They then took the names of the buyers and sellers and cross-referenced them with criminal records and ongoing police investigations and intelligence and found that more than 10% were allegedly connected to a transnational Asian crime network. Now, of course, these are all luxury purchases. And when you add up the real estate sales, possibly tied to dirty money, you get a total of upwards of a billion dollars in just one year. Really the role of dirty money as being a type of financial fentanyl. And criminals seem to be addicted to using real estate as a massive rinse cycle for their cash while every vein of housing affordability is eventually poisoned. It creates an ultimate displacement effect in terms of who we are trying to house. In one of Vancouver's wealthiest neighbourhoods, this $22 million home was listed in the 2016 investigation after it was sold off by a VIP gambler. Allegations made in BC Lottery Corporation documents and legal filings claim he took tens of millions in real estate loans from a suspected criminal lender and made 28 suspicious transactions in BC casinos. The frustration I have is when I hear people in the real estate industry say to me, it's not a problem at all. It's impossible for it to be a problem because that is exactly what the casino people said to me. 
The criminal connection between fentanyl, real estate, and casinos is called the Vancouver model. Fentanyl precursors are imported from China and cut into the deadly drugs sold on Canadian streets. The cash is cleaned in casinos or real estate before being sent back to China to repeat the cycle. BC uh, may be on the front lines of this right now, but will impact other provinces across Canada if we don't get a handle on it. Until then, criminals looking to clean their dirty cash will continue to think there's just no place like an expensive new home. John Hua, Global News. Not only are fentanyl overdoses killing Canadians in record numbers, the drug is also generating millions in profits for dealers and organized crime. The profit margins are startling. The Canada Border Services Agency says one kilogram of fentanyl costs about $5,000. That one kilo can manufacture one million hits, which on the street can generate up to $10 million. To make that kind of profit with heroin, that would take 50 kilograms. Fentanyl gave drug traffickers a way to multiply their profits. One kilogram of heroin is worth $70,000, but if about $12,500 worth of fentanyl is cut into it, that one kilo of heroin becomes 100 kilograms of counterfeit heroin. And its value goes from $70,000 to seven. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Million. The Canadian Senate has now passed back-to-work legislation that could have Canada Post workers back on the job by 9 a.m. our time tomorrow. That vote coming after Canada Post employees walked off the job across the country today. Hey, hey, ho, ho, this legislation's gotta go. Including in Richmond, Vancouver and Surrey, where B.C. workers brave rain and wind to walk picket lines. They say the back-to-work legislation violates their democratic rights to take job action. We've wanted a negotiated settlement from the beginning. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to achieve that yet. I really don't want to have to use back-to-work legislation. You've heard me say it time and again. I don't believe that's where the best deal can come from. But having said that, this is a really busy time of year. Canada Post workers could be back to work as soon as tomorrow, but in the meantime, their union is pledging to take Ottawa to court over the back-to-work legislation. A dream of golf greatness shattered, at least for now, by lost luggage in tonight's Consumer Matters report. And Drua is here with the story of a very unsatisfied Air Canada customer and a lesson and for all of us. Yeah, if you have precious cargo, you need to do your due diligence. Thanks, you too. Pro golfer Austin Hughes is sharing his travel nightmare experience tonight after Air Canada temporarily lost his golf clubs. Austin says the incident cost him an opportunity to qualify for one of the top pro golf tours in the world. But his story is also a reminder why having a plan B for important luggage is always a good idea. Years of hard work have allowed Austin Hughes to reach a critical point in his pro golf career. 
a chance to qualify on the European Tour, one of the top pro golf tours in the world. Back in October, the Delta resident flew from Vancouver to Lisbon, Portugal to pursue his dream. But upon arriving at YVR, Austin says the trip was off to a bad start. Uh, something didn't feel right. They arrived in Portugal only to discover their bags, including Austin's golf clubs, didn't make it. And instead of practicing and preparing for the tournament, you're now battling Air Canada. A battle, Austin says, because he was getting bounced around by the airline, spending hours, even days, trying to track down his golf clubs and lost luggage. Complicating matters, Austin says he was told that a representative at YVR failed to issue a baggage claim ticket for one of his bags. Desperate, he reached out to a family member for help. Sent my dad to YVR to talk to a representative about finding my bags. After seven hours, he was able to make a simple phone call to the airport in Toronto and find my clubs and also find my clothing. But it was too late. Austin says he was forced to use rental clubs for part of the tournament. His clubs eventually arriving in Portugal days later. The experience costing Austin dearly. He missed the cut and didn't earn his playing card. That trip was for me to set up my career and I wanted to play on the European Tour for 2019. Uh, but this has been a setback. Air Canada offered him and his coach $900 Canadian in total, apologizing for the inconvenience. After Consumer Matters reached out to the airline on Austin's behalf, Air Canada, in addition, offered both Austin and his coach as a goodwill gesture travel vouchers. A second $100 check was also issued to cover the baggage fees. Air Canada telling Consumer Matters the customer's original flights were cancelled and rebooked due to extensive weather conditions. Unfortunately, YVR Airport experienced a breakdown of its baggage system that day, so these customers' bags could not be loaded on the same flight to Toronto and had to be sent later. Make sure you've got either a backup or you maybe look at another way of sending whatever it is that you need just to ensure it's done. For Austin, he's looking ahead, hoping his next shot at his pro golf dream won't land him in the rough. Travel experts also recommending using luggage forwarding companies for very important cargo. They work like a courier, and while it will cost you more, it could be money well spent. Also, make sure when you check in your bags, you get your luggage claim tags for every bag you check in. Without them, you risk losing your bags for good. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. Here's the bottom line. Nobody's coming into our country unless they come in legally. Donald Trump now threatening to permanently shut down the U.S.-Mexico border, whether he can do it legally or not. That's in response to yesterday's clashes at Tijuana. U.S. troops fired tear gas at hundreds of migrants who tried to cross the border illegally, including children. Trump is demanding that Mexico send migrants back to their countries, claiming many of them are criminals. The union that represents nearly 3,000 auto workers in Ontario is vowing to fight General Motors' decision to shut down its plant in Oshawa. That devastating news, part of worldwide cutbacks that have left workers and communities in shock. It's right before Christmas, and the just tens of thousands of workers that are either directly in the plant or related to our industry, it's just gutting this whole community and all the lives that people have built here and their families. Production ground to a halt Monday morning as workers walked off the assembly line and onto the picket line. General Motors says the plant shut down as part of a global restructuring plan and Oshawa isn't alone on the chopping block. Eight manufacturing plants around the world are slated for closure. The market has swung 
dramatically away from cars to SUVs and trucks. And so it's really hard to be able to, uh, to get new product allocation in the car side of the GM tells us the plant in Oshawa is currently operating at only a third of its capacity. It believes the changes will save $6 billion a year. Even after all those changes, General Motors will probably be the largest employer in Oshawa still. Right in this headquarters building and then in our state-of-the-art uh, technology center just down the road. General Motors' attempts to soften the blow because didn't work on Unifor National President Jerry Dias. They are not closing our damn plant without one hell of a fight. Were they disingenuous when they committed to us that they were keeping the plant open through the life of the agreement? Just one of the many questions the workers at this plant are asking. Shalima Maharaj, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, the debate over genetic modification in humans has reached the next level. A Chinese researcher claims to have made the world's first genetically modified babies. Twin girls whose DNA he says he altered to give them the ability to resist possible future infection with the virus that causes AIDS. Gene editing could help researchers correct mutations in the human genome, effectively treating genetic diseases. But others fear it might lead to the creation of designer babies or could unleash consequences that scientists can't even predict. Editing of the human gene is illegal in Canada and in many other countries. Okay. Anyway, we're giving too much away. I know, exactly. Stick around after the forecast because okay. there's lots in the forecast. Yeah, right? look at all that That's green right. there. <laughs> so I thought I would show you a few more of the numbers. Vancouver Island getting hit hard near Bowser, which is just south of Comox, but the mountain ranges there getting hit even harder. We just don't have any actual numbers from there. You saw 120 for the Cypress Mountain region, and there's a few more numbers. Squamish at 60, 38 in uh, Whistler. And uh, I think the worst is yet has already happened in terms of the rainfall, but the atmospheric river will continue into tomorrow morning. We'll actually still see the rain even in the afternoon hours tomorrow, but up until tomorrow morning when the rainfall warning is in place, we're still expecting another 20 to 30. So you can see that the worst of the rainfall definitely done, but because of all the moisture out there, we're still expecting localized flooding, pooling water on the roads, and keep in mind, all of that water is still making its way down the streams and the rivers and out towards the water. Uh, the winds, we've seen wind gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour in the Tawasson area. No major power outages yet, but we're still expecting a wave of strong winds overnight. So gusts still southerly, uh, gusting 70, 80 kilometers an hour right through the lower mainland. And I'm still expecting potential of power outages, which would really slow down your commute to work. So not only will we be dealing with the wind and the rain, sorry, the rain and the flooding, but now we'll be dealing with power outages. So four-way stop procedures and all of these areas are included in that warning. And don't forget, we also have King Tide. So again, tomorrow morning, 938 will be the highest tide. And again, on Wednesday morning. Uh, so anywhere near the water, we could see really high levels. Um, just looking at how things will progress into tomorrow afternoon, a nice break for those of you in the interior. But you'll see, although the rain eases off the south coast, we still have significant moisture on the way and still a risk of freezing rain on the Coquihalla and Allison Pass with significant snow overnight tonight. Here's your forecast for tomorrow. Wind and rain across the coastal regions. Inland regions letting up by the afternoon hours. The south coast, though, will continue with that rain. Not as heavy as what we saw today. Uh, bulk of that will ease off through the day. Still showers Wednesday. Nice bright spot for you on Thursday. And I'll leave you with a shot 
from Smitty. That's uh, the top one is with the high tide, the king tide this morning, and the bottom one is when we don't see that. Just to give you an idea of wow. the difference. And blue sky, of course, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> quite that. a difference. Thanks, Christy. Caught on video, a very busy day for animal rescue volunteers in New York. Poor guy, there was a wild scramble to save a deer with a pretzel jar stuck on its head. Successfully resolved without injuring the animal, a little earlier they were called to another deer that was caught on a fence. Despite the obvious risk from the flailing back legs. Is that the deer making that sound? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> they managed to free that guy as well. It sounded like it was bang. It did. Matt, a wait a second, you think you're a sheep. Very strange. Okay, Squire's here taking it all in. Yes, yes. Well, nobody likes to have a pretzel box stuck in their hands. No. Nobody does. Yeah, we were speaking from experience. It's an accident. <laughs> a snack accident. <laughs> <laughs> is that Oh, my goodness. Sorry. Right. Okay. Uh, so, Besser's been missing for a little while. Since early November. And it's maybe that he's going to be back on he the ice. He should be back this tomorrow? week. Could be tomorrow. Could be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, there was actually a fear that maybe Brock Besser's groin problem might actually be the more serious sports hernia injury, and that would need surgery. But those fears have now been alleviated. He doesn't have a sports hernia. In fact, he was at practice today. He will play this week, maybe even as early as tomorrow's game against the LA Kings. That's a sight Canuck Nation has been without for almost a month. But it's been tougher on Brock Besser than it has been on anybody else. It's, it's not fun. Um, just seeing some of those games where I felt I could help out, maybe uh, get a couple more points. Uh, it sucks uh, being, uh, watching the team and not being able to help and produce. The last time Besser played on November 2nd, he produced four points on a night where he was Elias Patterson's wingman. Uh, that was one, one of the more fun games I've had in this building, so it's, uh, I'm really excited to get back out there with uh, Goldie and Petey, and hopefully we can build off that game. Um, obviously, that was my last game, so hopefully my confidence is still there. We think hockey the same. Uh, he's a skilled guy, good shot. Uh, like... All the other teams know we can shoot, so so if they put a guy on him, it will open up for other guys on the power play. So. Kalorn gives it away. Besser with a shot. Scores! He's, I mean, we all know what Brock, Brock's done for our group last year. and uh, you know, Like I said, he's a big part of our offense, and it'll be a, a welcomed addition when we get him back. And hopefully it you know, could be tomorrow, could be Thursday. The reworking of the Whitecaps roster has begun for new head coach Mark DeSantos and at this moment he is missing a number one goalkeeper, a main goal scorer and some wingers. Oh, and depending on how things go with Kendall Waston, who wants to be traded, he may need a new captain and main defender as well. When you want to change something and you want to move forward, um, you're going to have to start by almost, I would call it, destroying something to rebuild and and this is what we're doing at the moment among those players who are not part of the rebuild goalkeeper Stefan Marinovic who really hated the way the dressing room was divided last year Breck Shea who was the second highest paid white cap for some strange reason Kristen Deshera doesn't have a new contract and neither does Kai Kamara I'm hopeful that 
this club is going to have the right forward uh, moving forward. That sounds like the Whitecaps will continue this recent tradition of having a new main goal scorer every year. As for Kendall Waston wanting out, the new coach would like to talk to the captain face-to-face. -face. You guys are all aware of how he expressed, expressed about the future, what he wanted. So this is not a conversation that you have on the phone, I think, in my opinion. It's something you do face-to-face, -face, so it's going to be done soon, hopefully. All these changes, they're not a surprise. This is why Mark DeSantos is here. But he is cautioning against a quick turnaround for this team. You can't do this in one transfer window. Um, so people cannot expect that with one transfer window we change everything in a club because when you change players, it, it needs to click. You need a little bit of time to make it click. But everything that is being decided is looking in the medium and long term of the club. So you'll probably see a lot of younger, energetic, dynamic type of players coming in. John Herdman has yet to lose a game as head coach of Canada's men's national soccer team. Of course, he used to be the women's coach. He has had only four games in the job, mind you, and the competition hasn't exactly been stiff. He has beaten New Zealand, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Dominica, and St. Kitts and Nevis. Those last three wins, though, helped Canada get close to a spot in the CONCACAF Nations League and the Gold Cup. And today they announce BC Place will host another one of these qualifying games in March when Canada takes on French Guyana. We're now just a point away, a point away from what we set out, which was Group A, Nations League. If we make the Nations League Group A, you know, those FIFA windows will be filled with tough matches against big teams, the Mexicos, the USAs, the Costa Ricas. So fingers crossed, the next time we're in BC, not in March, but the next one, it could be the USA, it could be Mexico, it could be Costa Rica. So you guys like his accent, I like his tan. You have the accent, tan. All right, this is the Texans and this is the Titans and this is Lamar Miller and he's going wire to wire, coast to coast, 97 and that's poor tackling and that's a slow defensive back and that's a touchdown. 24-10, Houston leads Tennessee at halftime. Here's your snow report for today. Lots of new snow in the last little while. Whistler Blackcomb, 11 fresh centimeters. Grouse and Cypress not yet open, but Sasquatch will open on December 15th. Revelstoke, Fernie, and Manning Park will open later this week, whereas White Rod are opening December 7th. Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peaks all see nice new snow. Two for Big White, Silver Star 6, and Sun Peaks 10. Kicking Horse and Mount Washington will open on December 7th, and Powder King got a whopping 17 centimeters in the last one. Four hours. Coming up on a special edition of ET Canada, Sarah McLaughlin, Paul Brandt, and Vanessa Grimaldi join us to help give back to the community. We travel across Canada showcasing why we all need to chip in this holiday season. That is coming for the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you very much, Roz. Okay, straight off, it's not a lunar lander, it's a Mars lander. Lunar is the moon. Right. Mars. But apparently Mars. it looks like the old lunar lander. It does, and that's okay. Okay, that's why, that? okay. exactly. So, on the topic, NASA's InSight spacecraft, this one right here, has completed its nail-biting nearly 500 million kilometer journey with a successful touchdown on Mars. Among the people glued to the landing, a UBC scientist who was the only Canadian member of the mission to the Red Planet. Linda Ellsworth reports. We have radar activation. With radar 
In a packed room at UBC's Pacific Museum of Earth, all eyes are focused on a screen, all ears tuned on a countdown. Gravity turn, altitude 400 meters. Six months ago, the unmanned Mars lander InSight began its nearly 500 million kilometer journey to the red planet. At last, it's about to touch down. Just so many years in the making to see it all come together and see all the excitement, it's really something else. 300 meters. But no one here is more excited or nervous than Professor Katherine Johnson. This is a mission that we as the scientific community have wanted to do for several decades now, so it's really exciting to actually be almost there. She is the only Canadian involved in the NASA mission. Her expertise, the interior of rocky planets, something we know next to nothing about where Mars is concerned. Understanding the interior, while it doesn't seem as interesting as it, and as exciting as getting images of the surface, is absolutely critical. It's 99.9% .9 of the planet. When InSight lands, it will lower a seismometer onto the surface, which will record Mars quakes. This is how scientists will learn what's below. The way in which the energy from quakes travels through the planet is what tells us about those different layers in the planet. Understanding planets helps us better understand our own, but there are other reasons to explore Mars. To be able to tell us how often Mars quakes occur and where, that's obviously really important for future astronaut missions to Mars. 20 meters, 17 meters, standing by for touchdown. But InSight has to land safely first. Touchdown confirmed. <laughs> For the next two years, InSight will beam data to Earth. Its first message, a tweet with a dusty image of its new home. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. And it has its own Twitter account, of course. That's right. Like the otter and the koi. Yeah, fascinating, <laughs> fascinating to see what we'll learn from that. And mm -hmm. so far, at least one of the koi still survives, which is Apparently, good news. Apparently, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's that, Madonna, though. Last Koi standing. Last <laughs> The saga continues. All right. A uh, bit of a crazy night. Uh, expected some pretty bad wind, it sounds like. Yeah, so we're still expecting the wave of wind overnight. So power outages potentially in the morning or by the morning. All right. Could be a nasty commute. Give yourself some extra time. Thanks for watching. Good night, all. Stay cool.